Church, Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, those of you joining us online, God bless you. We hope you have a great day wherever you are. Uh, those of you who are getting ready to travel or um, have plans coming up, uh, thank you for joining us on this Sunday before Christmas. If you're a first-time guest here today, thank you for taking a chance on us. Sometimes it can be a little intimidating going to a large group of people and you don't really know uh, people there, but you came and you took a chance on us. Thank you for joining uh, with us. I want to take a moment and just say thank you to all of you who support this church with your time, with your finances, with your 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 life to invest here. Uh, this church exists because you invest in it. Um, I can be a preacher by myself, but I can't lead a church by myself. We have to have we have to have a body of Christ that the Lord places us within. And so I want to bless you all today. I'm filled with affection for you all. So uh, some of you are germ nervous. So um, this uh, this is not available to you. But if you're not germ nervous and you would like to have a big hug, I am your chief appointed uh, hugging officer. And uh, we love you. We want the best for you. And uh, my wife's in charge of the germ department. She she does not study any germs. Yeah, she does hug with a mask on. That's too much organization for me. I can't be that organized. So anyway, anyway, I was just thinking how pretty my wife is today. And uh, just trying to thankful for that. Are you in the mood for a blonde joke today, honey? You're in the mood for a blonde joke? Okay, my wife loves blonde jokes. Mainly it's because she's smarter than me and more educated than me. And if she had a good man, there's no telling what she could do. so we're supposed to have a big snowstorm uh, over the holidays. Some of you guys are getting excited, but I just want to say this. If I had a dollar for every time they promised a white Christmas, I could pay for a trip for all of you to go to Iceland. So um, anyway, so this um, blonde lady was trapped in a snowstorm, and she remembered what her father had taught her whenever you're in a snowstorm, just follow a snow truck, find a snow plow, and follow the snow plow. Well, she saw one. She pulled in behind it, followed the snow plow for 45 minutes, and finally, the driver stopped and came back to check on her. He said, can I help you, ma'am? She said, yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. She said, I'm fine. My dad always told me if I'm ever in a snowstorm, I can just follow a snowplow. He said, okay, well, I'm almost done here at Walmart. We're going to Best Buy next. (laughs) See, there's your blonde joke for the day. Uh, Let's read together a passage. Perhaps... Perhaps the most Christmas passage in all all of the word of the Lord that will be placed placed upon uh, Christmas cards, celebrated um, on signs, uh, and you would you could find it uh, several places, but the place that I will refer you to today uh, is, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Isaiah, I guess I want to preach from the book of Acts today, uh, Isaiah chapter number nine, uh, verse number six, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name, somebody say name, his name will be what? Say it with me, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Now notice this next phrase. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Um, that is a very King James uh, or King Jamesian kind of way of saying this. God really wants to do this. Yeah. <laughs> if I were to say to you, I'm just, I really, 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 really want to come to your house and eat a dessert that you cook for me, um, that, would be, that would be me saying I was excited. And you'd be like, well, okay, what do you want me to cook? So you just let that be a leading in the spirit to some of you uh, right there. Uh, the Lord is saying, I, I really want to do this. The zeal of the Lord. It isn't often that we think of the Lord as zealous. It isn't often that we think of the Lord as having things that excite him, things that animate him, things that he wants to do. In fact, we think of God, you know who you are, we think of God kind of this grandfatherly figure reclining upon a cloud bank shaped like a throne, and there his court around him, and uh, here he is, the wise man, and he's always, you know, in pop culture, trying to stop you from do something that you really, really want to do. Um, we don't think so much of God really wanting to do something and looking for a way to see it happen. Okay, I'm going to say the same thing to this side of the church because I think they're more spiritual today. I think y'all are slipping over here. Normally it's y'all, but you're slipping today. We're going to go over here. Okay, you ready for this? Can you imagine that there's things God really wants to do and he's looking for an opportunity to have it happen? You can find in the Bible testimony of God. God is looking for something. God is seeking something. God is seeking such to what? Worship him. How will they worship? In spirit and in truth. God is not just up, you know, in glory with a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. God is excited over you. You are his child. You are the children of God. Have you ever seen people with their babies? They're just excited about their babies. You can take a highly educated, very distinguished, mildly attractive person and give them a baby, and this highly educated person will turn into the babblingest, pokingest, shakingest, swingingest, rolling on the floorest, the dignified person you had ever seen. Because something about a baby makes you rediscover something you tend to lose in your adulthood, and that is joy. Yeah. We tend to lose joy. We lose our capacity for joy. Why children are, in many ways, a rediscovery of life. Uh, is that because a child makes you rediscover wonder? You get old, you get cynical, you get, oh, this, blah, I gotta go to work, oh, they just want my money, oh, my God, I gotta go to work, they just want my money. And then all of a sudden, a kid goes up, you go out the same door, you look at the same blue sky, you see the same trees, the same birds, and the little person's like, wow. 
have, I'm still lucky that although I'm old as Methuselah, I still have little people in the house. And uh, Ellery, who is nine, uh, recently went outside and saw a cardinal sitting on my truck. I have a work truck. And she went outside and she just, I mean, she just had to call a halt to everything. Everyone has to come see this cardinal. Oh my word, it's a red bird. Who would have thought it? Who would have thunk it? Who could have imagined so glorious a thing? A, a cardinal, stop ye who trespass here. Behold, uh, the crimson bird. <laughs> now I will walk by. I, I have lost the capacity of wonder in that area, but when you see your child, let's be honest, you hate Disneyland. <laughs> Let's, let's be honest, you hate carowinds. Just be honest. You, you, maybe you're young at heart. I'm a little jealous. Um, but maybe you probably don't. Why do you go? Because when your little person uh, sees, I don't know, a rabbit standing there with music playing beside a rabbit castle, I don't know, you, they're filled with wonder. They're like, oh my. You'd rediscover wonder. Children make you rediscover zeal and passion and wonder and joy. You will laugh more with a little person than you will laugh on your own. You will smile more with a little person. I'm not talking about the time between midnight and 6 a.m. There's not much laughing and smiling there, but that is your problem. It's not mine. I survived barely, and I'm here today to tell you that doesn't count. The rest of the time, there will be more laughter and more joy, and you will begin to want things for your children. You will begin to feel like it doesn't matter how well my life turned out. If their life doesn't turn out good, I'm going to carry that as a sadness in me. I'm going to have to give them to God and trust them to God because I had these dreams. And if you have lost loved ones, you lost people that you cared much about, you, you have to carry that as a type of mourning in your spirit. That can make the holidays hard. But just as you wanted and wished and desired for good things in uh, love ones and particularly in children, can you imagine that God might get excited about what he could do in you, what he could do through you, what he could do for you? Could you imagine that maybe he gets you best when you become like a little child? Quit trying to argue with God. Quit trying to rationalize God. Quit trying to give answers to this and that. But simply come with faith and become like a child in his presence. It is as though Almighty God, in the same manner as a parent, is in some way filled with zeal on, or shall we say, on behalf of a child or in the stead for a child, in that moment. And so here we read of what God's going to do. And it ends up saying in kind of formal King James way, uh, God is really excited to do this. So let me say a few things here today in the manner um, the Lord would like to help you deal with some of the stuff that is keeping your spirit in despair. He's really excited to do this. Oh, I'm going to have to go back to this side because y'all backslid that fast. All right, I'm back over here. Chance number two. Are y'all ready? The Lord would really like you to make your yesterdays really be yesterday and you start living in the now of God's promise. 
He was really excited to do this for you. He is just really excited to do this. I mean, he is just really excited to do this for you. It is almost as though it's a zeal in his heart that he would like to do this for you. Man, I, you know that stuff that wakes you up and gives you stress dreams and fills you with fear and uncertainty and what about that and what about this? You know that junk? The Lord would really like to just let that be washed away once and for all. You know the, the things in your past that you're not, you're embarrassed if they come up, you know, your skeletons and whatnot, your collection of skeletons that you have. Uh, it used to be a closet, but now it's more like a skeleton warehouse. Um, and there you go hang out in your skeleton warehouse with all your skeletons. And, and you can't really ever get free because every time you move, you have to rent a new hair warehouse and take all those skeletons out and move them into the new skeleton warehouse, wherever you are. The Lord would really like to wash your sins away. He's really excited to do this. The zeal of the Lord is active in this house as he looks at you and he would like to heal your sick body for his name's sake. He would like to heal your broken heart. How? For his name's sake. He would like to start over in who you can be in him for his name's sake. He's really excited to do this. Now, uh, we quote this passage here quite a lot, uh, for unto you a child is born. It is in many ways the quintessential uh, passage of Christmas. Um, but to understand it, I, I want to tell a broader story, and it is, it's quite, um, it's, uh, it's not quite as sentimental and as happy and all of that as simply the Christmas story as we tell it, but you won't understand one without the other, so I'm going to take you on a hopefully concise journey of the larger picture of when God gives a promise that he will make all things new through this child that is born. And I want to give you an overview very quickly of Isaiah in this moment in time. The book of Isaiah is not written chronologically. In other words, the chapters are not chronological. They're kind of in pieces and placed together like a collection of writings, not a chronological narrative. But the chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 uh, are together. That is one, as it were, uh, writing. And if if we understand right, and there, there is, of course, limits um, on what scholars can know, but that passage uh, serves as kind of a continuous time and continuous place, um, and what you see here is Isaiah awakened in chapter number six to the fact that God has more for him than just the role of priesthood. A priest serves as a formal representative of the people, and they instruct the people, and then they represent the people to God. It is a formal role. It is unique and it is a blessed role. But there were many, many priests who were never uh, in the role of prophets. In the like manner, there were many, many prophets who were not in the role of priests. And here in chapter number six, what Isaiah is awakened to, what really just kind of wakes him up to this realization, he's not just a priest, but he has a call on his life to be a 
prophet of the Lord. And you read the story here in this passage, starting in chapter number uh, six, verse number one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I got to take my glasses off because I'm old and I can't see. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. He sees the angelic hosts. He hears the angels crying one to another. Verse number three, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. Uh, he is aware of his own unworthiness because that's what happens in the presence of God. You are are awakened to your need, you're not impressed with yourself. When you're impressed with yourself, that's the opposite of being in the presence of the Lord. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. This is a very important image. Our mouth, our lips, our tongue, what we define, what we use to speak. Uh, this is why the issue of controlling our speech is so important, whether it is an act or statement of faith, or whether in another manner it is a discipline of the flesh, uh, why uh, those who speak discord, doubt, and accusation are standing in the role of Lucifer. That's what Lucifer does. He accuses people, uh, and he tells you the truth about you. He doesn't have to lie about you. Uh, he speaks to God, and he tells the truth about you. Now, he's a liar, but when he tells about you, he doesn't have to lie. He lies to you, not about you. Why does he not lie about about you because he's talking to the judge and God would know if he's lying. So he lies to you, but not about you. He just points out your sins. You see what I'm saying? And this unclean lips is a real problem. It's the tongue, the Bible says, that no man can tame. This is a problem. Whether it is the things we say or whether it is um, the, the principle of fasting where we discipline our taste, our eating, it is a central problem. All tied up in this image, the prophet saying, look, I can't stand in the presence of God. I can't get this mouth under control. <laughs> to which I say, brother, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. And um, I'm, I dwell in a people of unclean lips. And you see the image. What happens? The angel, coal, of, coal from the fire. And what does the angel do? Cleanses, touches his mouth and cleanses him. And this, this moment, the beginning of this continuous passage here, uh, really is Isaiah realizing that he is not simply, um, as it were, uh, a priest of the order of the priests, but he is a prophet called by God. He's not just representing God to the people and the people to God. He is speaking the word of the Lord from God to the people. That will change every, everything else that happens in his ministry. And so now that you understand his call... He's not just a representative of God. He is a voice that speaks. Now, I want you to understand the context. Uzziah was a successful king. He has died. And the king to follow him is, interestingly, um, uh, maybe the worst or the second worst king in all of Israel, uh, the history of Israel, uh, history of the Jews. And it's a man by the name of Ahaz. 
Um, there's only one other king I would, I would think that could enter into this competition of who's the worst. It's either Ahaz or Manasseh. Either Ahaz or Manasseh. Why do I say that? Only two kings in all of Hebrew history. I feel like I should explain something. Um, I threw all my notes out yesterday. I've been doing that a lot lately, and I'm just trying to take you on a journey in the scripture. That's why I have no notes. That's why I'm just using the Bible, and I don't have notes on my iPad. If I seem lost, it's because I am. Now, dearly beloved, let's continue together. Uh, so uh, the passage here is um, uh, Ahaz is one of two Jewish kings who the Bible says made their sons pass through the fire in idolatrous worship to Molech. This is, I'm sorry to be ugly, on the Sunday before Easter, but here's a reality about the Christmas story. You won't see how beautiful it is until you see how ugly we were. God's both beautiful images. We hide the ugly, God doesn't, because you won't understand the beauty until you see, confess, and accept the ugliness of our condition. Only two Hebrew kings offered their children as human sacrifices in an abomination to an idolatrous God called Molech. Every time you find this referenced in the scripture, it is with great revulsion and um, uh, abhorrence. It is the very opposite of God. And if you think, if you think about Abraham being asked to offer his only son, I want you to show the, I want you not just to see the context, but see the lesson. Because it's not the context, it's the lesson. What is the lesson? The lesson is that God will provide his own sacrifice. That's the lesson. The context is very similar to what many of the nations of the world at that time did. Many of the uh, false religions and deities of the time did that. And the Lord sets Abraham up. Remember, Abram's the first one of the covenant. As though God's sowing. First of all, let me show you what we're not going to do. Okay? And so he uh, takes his son, and then the Lord stops Abraham, and he says, lay not your hand upon the lad. And then what does he say? I have provided uh, an offering. I have provided an offering. Remember that. The Lord is going to provide the offering. Now, back to Ahaz, this evil, evil king. He had not yet offered his sons here um, in this passage we're reading um, when we read this. Um, in chapter number uh, seven. It had not happened yet. He's still a young king. He became king at 20, and I think he died at age of 39, if I remember correctly. It would help if I had notes. Um, but I think that's when he passed, and um, he did. He, he was a hideous, a hideous king. He had no desire for the ways of his fathers. He had no love for the house of God. In fact, later on, when he was a vassal of Tiglath-Pileser III, who was a, a Syrian king far to the north. Um, he, he literally adopted their form of worship and he copied their altar and brought it down and had the altar of the Assyrians built 
in the house of God. Now, this is a huge problem, and his son, Hezekiah, is going to rise up and be led of the Lord and turn the nation back to the house of Israel. Do you see? Back to the, the worship of Yahweh. That's going to happen in Hezekiah. Ahaz has no desire whatsoever from the, for the Lord, even though there's a strong uh, coalition within the house of Israel that wants the worship of Yahweh. What Ahaz will do is lead and stri- uh, push the people away from Yahweh. The Lord will make an appeal through Isaiah to Ahaz right here in chapter number seven. And let me uh, tell you the story. The Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, I want you to take your son. Uh, His son is named, you can read this in verse number three. The Lord said to Isaiah, go now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Yeshub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct by the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. What's happening? They are preparing the nation for siege because they are about to be attacked either by the king of the northern Tid tribes. This is going to sound a little bit like a soap opera for a minute, um, but I'm not going to spend much time on it. He has, Ahaz has an opportunity. He can either aside with Tiglath-Pileser III, or he can join with the two kings north of him. I won't say their names because uh, it would bog us down. Uh, and the Lord tells him in this moment not to join with the two kings to his north. He, as it were, has an opportunity that he could become an ally here um, if he wanted to. He could send a missionary, a missionaries, emissaries. My goodness, I've already preached once today, so my tang is getting tangled up. Uh, he sends a miss, emissaries. He could. He doesn't because he is not a wise king. Uh, but he end up will be destroyed by Tiglath-Pileser III. The Lord is trying to turn his heart back toward Israel. And the Lord sends the prophet to turn his heart back toward Yahweh. And so the Lord says to Isaiah, take your son, Shear Yeshub, and go meet the king and tell him, don't be afraid of those two. And he insults the two kings of the north, two stubs of smoking firebrands. They don't, they can't even light a fire. All they can do is offer some smoke. Um, and uh, that is what the Lord wants him to do. But he will not, he will not believe, he will not turn toward Yahweh. And the Lord says, look, if, if you will, uh, it shall not stand nor shall it come to pass for the head of Syria is in Damascus, the head of uh, Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken. That's one of the kingdoms. Uh, the head of, uh, and he says this, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. But there's something in the heart of Ahaz. He will not follow after the ways of Yahweh. And the Lord makes this appeal to him. And this is, this is how we get to Christmas. One of the ugliest stories in the Bible gets us to the most famous Christmas scripture. And I bet you not 999, not one out of a thousand Christians could tell you the broader story of how do we get to the most famous Christ, uh, Christmas uh, scripture in all the word of the Lord. The Lord says to Ahaz, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz says, 
I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Here's the interesting thing. If God ever gives you a chance to ask for anything you want, you have just crossed go. It's time to collect $200. Does anyone see what I'm talking about right here? You want to talk about a winning lottery ticket? You know how everyone goes nuts once the lottery gets over a billion dollars? Don't act like you don't. Some of you guys get saying name of Jesus more than you said it all year long. My God, I claim it. I'll give it to the church. Well, the Lord knows if you'll give it to the church. Just having fun. It's fun to dream about a billion dollars. The Lord says, ask me for anything. He could have asked, Lord, defeat the enemies of your house on the battlefield to show you are our God and we are your people. But he won't ask for anything even when God is asking. The Lord in other places, we are taught not to test the Lord, not to ask. But that's not us demanding of God. This is God saying, come on, ask. I want to be yours and I want you to be mine. I don't want you to chase after false gods. Is there something I can do to reach you? Oh, I want to preach for a moment on the mercy of God. God has moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. Don't let your fear keep you from knowing him. Don't let your doubt keep you from walking with him. Don't let anything stop you from being a part of the kingdom of God. We don't think of God seeking us, but actually God seeks us. Ask me anything, and he won't do it. He won't do it. And so now you get to one of the most famous scriptures, Christmas scriptures, in all the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You won't ask for a sign. So let me, this is funny. I love this in the text. Um, Verse number 13, the Lord says to Ahaz, look, you are on my nerves. Uh, He doesn't say it like that, but he's like, you are wearing me out. Literally, it's in the Bible. That's the King James Version. Actually, it's the Nathan Joel Version. Um, Here is uh, New King James Version. Here now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? That's fancy language for you are wearing me out. I am giving you everything and you will not ask for anything. All right, you want a sign? You won't ask for a sign? I'm going to give you a sign that you will not ask for. Are you ready for this? Behold, verse 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And... shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So, why am I telling the story? Now, remember the ugliness of what Ahaz will do. Ahaz will offer his sons as human sacrifice, which is hideous, abhorrent, utter, an utter abomination. Uh, he will do that. Um, when Isaiah is sent to this moment to stand before um, King Ahaz, the Lord tells him to take his son, Shear Yashab. Take your son, Yashab, and just have him stand by you. He doesn't have to say anything. Just him being there is enough. Here is what his name, you see, when you come into the presence of a king, uh, it's you are introduced into the king, presence of the king. No one enters the presence of a king's court without having a reason to be there and being announced there. Here you come, Isaiah and his son, Shear Yashub, which means, are you ready for this? A remnant of Israel is going to remain. 
no matter how big of a mess you make, a remnant of Israel is going to survive. Whether you repent or don't repent, a remnant of Israel is going to survive. Whether you want to worship Yahweh or worship the gods of Assyria, a remnant of Israel is going to survive. The fact that he is standing there, his name announced is testimony enough. You might call this the testimony of a name. You don't have to say anything. Just stand there. Let your name speak. Let your name testify. Isaiah is pleading with the king, but standing by Isaiah is his son, Shir Yeshub, and that name literally means uh, a remnant of my people is going to survive everything that's about to happen. Though the heathen rage, a remnant is going to survive. But it's more than that. It's more than that. This will happen again. The next time you read Isaiah going before the king, the Lord is telling him to take his second, his, his another son, and the name of this other son is, this one's a little bit harder to pronounce, so any of you um, expectant mothers are looking for beautiful names for children, you should consider this um, uh, Meher Shalah Hashbaez. That's a beautiful, beautiful name. And you can just rock that baby and say, oh, Meher Shabah Hashbaez. Um, that is the name of the, uh, the, the, the next son that Isaiah takes. And so here, the Lord, this is chapter eight, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Mahir Shalal Hashbaez. Um, and he does this. And he then takes this son. He writes about his son. The promise is in the name, watch this, of the son. The pro- Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. The promise is in the name of the son. I'm gonna say it one more time. The promise is in the name of of the son. Isaiah, when I look into this king's heart and I see how he doesn't value the next generation, he doesn't value his sons. He'll offer them. It's in his heart to offer them as a human sacrifice. I want to make a statement for all the generations to read. I want you to take your son. I want you to have him stand right there. Doesn't have to say a thing. The testimony, the promise is in the name of the boy. Just let him stand there. His name is enough. And so here, Shir Shir Yeshub stands. Uh, What are you doing here? I'm not sure. Has anybody asked you anything? No. Do you have anything to do? I haven't told me anything yet. What am I doing here? You're just supposed to stand here because the power, the promise, the testimony is in the name. Just stand right here. Just be here. That's enough. Ahaz, you won't value the next generation. Let me say something real quick to all you parents. Um, Working with children, working with young people is a challenge, you know, because you have some. Um, We love the young people in this church. We love them when they're good and we love them when they're bad. We love them when we do approve of them and we love them when we don't approve of them. And this is what I want you all to know. If First Church ever has a future, it's because the anointing has to get some down, somewhere down in the souls of the next generation. It has to get in their heart because there's no power that has any legs if it's just in us. It has to be from generation to generation. 
we have, I don't know, 30, 30 maybe more kids next door, and our student pastor, Cameron, is pouring himself into them over there. You know why I don't have him here right now? Because sometimes there's subjects that, that, that we feel like it would be better for him to answer their questions and talk to them, but he, while we're over here, sure, it would be more fun for us to have another 20 or 30 people in here. Sure, that'd be good for my ego, but it's not about my ego. We've got to get these kids with something in their heart where they hunger after the kingdom of God. The promise isn't enough if my son's not standing there with me receiving the promise of God. This church revival is not enough if it's not in bold in our youth group. The outpouring of the Spirit is not enough if it's not generation to generation. And I, I'll be honest with you, a lot of our kids aren't where they ought to be in God. Uh, they aren't. A lot of our kids aren't going to church. And uh, not, not, I don't, I'm not saying a majority, but I just mean it's tough to grow up. I, I, I never quit church, but I was backsid plenty. No, if, so, if a preacher acts like he wasn't, I don't know if he's being honest with you. Um, if you grow up in the church, you learn how to act spiritual but not be spiritual. I tell my mom stuff I did now, and she's like, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Here I thought you were angelic. I'm like, but I was. She's like, no, you were the very devil carcana did that. I can't believe you did that. And you're just, some of you are making me look like a, 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 a cherub. Worst thing I ever did was sneak out. That's not true. I'm not telling you worst thing I ever did. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? My point is this. It's not enough for me to have a word from God if the next generation is not right there with the promise upon them. It's not time for you to prophesy, but a promise is on you. It's not time for you to pull a sword and go fight the enemy. But here the promise is upon you, and I want you to have this memory forever that God doesn't just value me. He values you. Those of you whose children are kind of, you know, struggling in the way, don't, don't think because they're struggling right now that the end of the story has been told. Yes. Honey, if we'd have looked at you when they, you were their age, there's no telling what we would have thought. Have faith in God. The promise is in the name of the Son. The promise is in the name of the Son. The promise, Yashir, Yashub, just stand there. You don't have to say anything. I just want you to know, and I want this king who doesn't value his sons to see that God's man is not going to stand in the place of God if his son's not right there to be a part. So, second time prophet, the second son. I would try to say his name without looking at my notes, but I would not remember it. And so looking at, not my notes, but my Bible, Mahir Shalal Hashbaez. Lord, it's almost as like the Lord says, I'm going to, and the Lord told them this name. It was a commandment. It's almost like the Lord says, well, he didn't notice the last name. I'm going to give him a name that stands out. This name takes a while to introduce. <laughs> Actually, this name, however, is not uh, just um, where the first name was a, a promise. No matter what happens, we will survive. The second name, this, is that judgment's coming quickly. Plunder is coming. The, the plunder of the enemy coming and taking what is yours is happening quickly. Again, the promise, whether of blessing or judgment, is in the name. The promise, whether of blessing or judgment, is in the name of the sons. And here you have a prophet who cannot speak on God's behalf without the Lord telling him to take one of his sons with him. And you have a king who doesn't value his sons. You see, Christmas is not all just candy canes. 
You have a king who doesn't value his sons, and it's at this moment, it's at this moment that it is as though the Lord says, all right, uh, I don't want you to give your son. I don't want you to give your, what did he say to Abraham? Don't lay your hand on the boy. I'll provide a sacrifice. I don't want you to give your sons Ahaz, you nutso. <laughs> I don't want you to give your sons. I'll give mine. Abraham, don't lay your hand on the boy. I've provided. At this moment, on one hand, you have a prophet who he can't hardly go say anything the Lord tells him to go without the Lord saying, take your son and let him stand right beside you. And here you have a king who doesn't value his sons. And the Lord announces, all right, for unto us a child is born. <laughs> and unto us a son is given. And the, who are we saying this to? You have a prophet, priest prophet, his silent son standing beside him, speaking to a king who won't value his sons. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now remember what I said, that the promise is in the name? Just stand there, Shir Yashub. Just stand there. I'm not gonna say the second name, I can't, it's a long name. <laughs> Just stand there, the promise is in the name. What's the name of the son? And the Lord speaks through a prophet with his son standing beside him to a king who won't value his sons and says, his name shall be called Wonderful, yes. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. And now, if you'll allow me to say it from the Nathan Joel version, God's just so excited to do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The story of humanity is us trying to save ourselves and making it uglier and uglier and uglier and uglier. The story of humanity is us trying to save ourselves and making it uglier and uglier and uglier and uglier. Until in the very depths of our depravity and failure, the Lord says, let me pay your price. Let me pay your price. The promise is in the name of the Son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. God, the promise is in the name of the Son. So here I am today, the glass Sunday before Christmas, preaching the most unsentimental, joy-tide-filled song sermon that you've ever heard in your life. Telling you this, you won't understand how beautiful it is until you understand how ugly we made it. But once you understand how ugly we can make it, you'll start to perceive how beautiful it is. Stand with me all across the house.
The promise is in the name of the Son. Jesus, thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Whosoever (laughs) shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a statement of faith. If we can just get something started in you, if we just can get you to turn your heart toward God, call upon the name of the Lord. I have all confidence that he who has begun a good work in you is able to bring it to completion. And so this is what I want to say so much in my spirit and in my heart, so much what I want to share, share with all of you, that in the name of Jesus, everything that was needed make up for the ugliness of the human story is complete. And that's why he was despised and rejected, because it's an ugly story. That's why he was beaten. That's why he was flogged. It's an ugly story. You can try to make it pretty. You can adorn the tree. (laughs) You can sing sentimental songs. (laughs) You can get little, you know, elves in the corners and make presents out of everything. And it's, it's right that we celebrate. There's nothing wrong with that. But hear me today in the story before (laughs) if you're going to go through this story it's going to have some dark stories it'll have some dark sides to it and here he is I feel the presence of the Lord here today I'd like to invite all of you who would who you have this in your spirit this overwhelming sense of, I don't know how to say thank you. I don't know where to start. I just, I want to respond. Would you lift your hands all over this house? And would you just say this to the Lord? I give myself to you, oh God. I repent of my sins today. I have many sins. I try to shed myself of them regularly doing so again today. I I repent of my sins, Lord Jesus. Forgive me for my trespasses and my rebellion. Forgive me for the errors of my ways. Forgive me for the vanity of my flesh. Forgive me, oh God, for being willing to live a lie year after year after year. Save us where we live no lies. We live no lies, pretense and ego act like we're smarter than we are act like we're stronger than we are act like we're richer than we are act like we're wiser than we are act like we're somebody when God knows we're not hoard pride hoard vanity and you look at the ugliness of all of it and you say hey the promise is in the name of my son the promise is in the name of my son Jesus 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 sweetest name I know want to take a moment and linger right here we're going to do uh, we're going to pray a little differently in just a moment but i want to take a moment and linger right here and those of you who will if you're moved in your spirit today and you want to respond would you step out of the chair you're in and step down to the front or step into the aisle whatever whatever works for you we're gonna sing right now our young people's coming in right now there's a lot of room for you guys right down over here if y'all want to come over here uh 
Oh, y'all are getting ready for the baptism? Okay, that's great. That's great. Y'all go ahead and do that. We're going to have a couple baptisms here in a minute. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.